0: Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Brent Chadwick. Brent is the CFO for Plaid Pantry, a role he began in 2016. He started his career as an auditor at PwC and left at the manager level after six years to work in industry as an Assistant Corporate Controller at Radisys, From there, he was drawn to a controller role at Aspen Capital. When he took the job with Aspen, they were just starting their IPO as a real estate investment trust and it promised to be a good professional experience. Brent is a CPA and holds a master's in accounting from the University of Montana. Brent also served in the infantry branch of the US Army National Guard for three years. The Infantry is the mainland combat force and the backbone of the U.S. Army. Brett, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about your experience as a young CFO at Plaid Pantry and how you were able to begin making improvements to the organization almost immediately. So uh, let's just jump right in. Can you talk about your career progression? and how you came to be the CFO for Plaid Pantry.
1: For sure. So I started out in public accounting at PwC, worked there for about six years. And, you know, the time PwC is very valuable. I worked on lots of different sizes of companies from privately held companies to multinational companies like Nike, which we have here in Portland. So got to experience a wide breadth of different businesses structures processes controls you know it was really good opportunity for me there um, but after about six years i knew i wasn't really interested in being in public accounting my entire career so i started looking for you know jobs in the private sector which led me to rate assist, which was a publicly traded telecom here in the portland area that wasn't you know too big did you know 100 million dollars in sales a year but I went there as an assistant, corporate controller, really good experience. The corporate controller there, similar background, worked at PwC, but it had been in industry for a while. Very nice guy, very knowledgeable. But you know, it became pretty clear after about six months that we had very similar skill sets. And you know, there wasn't gonna be a lot of progression career-wise there. So I started kind of talking to a couple of recruiters see what else was out there and at that point i found out about a real estate investment trust that was going through an ipo just starting the process and so you know i thought that would be a really good professional development opportunity went there for about a year you know during the ipo completed the ipo worked on putting controls and things in place you know going from a privately held company to a publicly traded company a lot of work on the control front and processes, but you know, a very good opportunity. You know, it was actually while I was there, a friend of mine at PwC that took over the Plaid Pantry audit for me, told me that the CFO was leaving Plaid and that they were looking for a replacement. And at that point, you know, I had a lot of experience with Plaid from being on their audit for a few years while I was at PwC And got to kind of witness firsthand how they navigated the financial crisis of 08 and really just saw how well they executed during that. And, you know, nothing really probably is totally recession proof, but, you know, the convenience store industry has a lot of staples that people rely on. So they tend to do better than most during that time. And also during my time there, I learned a lot about the company and their involvement in the community as far as, you know, sponsoring these sports teams and things like that. So, you know, as a company that I'd always kind of admired and thought, man, that'd be a pretty cool opportunity if it ever opened up. And so I got the job description, took a look at it, saw that I was drastically underqualified as far as uh, the experiences they were looking for. But, you know, as Michael Jordan said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And so I submitted my resume, you know, just to see what would happen. From there, it took about six weeks because clearly I wasn't probably high on the list of priorities based on my experience. But after about six weeks, I got called back from the CEO to come in and do an interview over the weekend on a Saturday. And... I came in, we did an aptitude test and a bunch of other, you know, behavioral testing, which was pretty interesting because I'd never really done much of that. And the CEO was trying to explain the instructions to me while I was starting the math portion of the test. And he was talking to me while I was trying to read the instructions. And so he, you know, told me to answer the practice test. And embarrassingly enough, I actually missed the practice test because I couldn't really read the instructions while he was trying to talk to me and hover over me. It kind of felt like a proctored test from high school, which I was drastically out of practice for. So he walked away, and after that, you know, did a little bit better. But, you know, a couple of years later, he kind of joked that he thought he wasted his uh, Saturday morning interviewing me when I missed the practice test. So, you know, a little bit of a uh, Fun fact there, I guess.
0: For all of those who don't live in the Pacific Northwest, what exactly is Plaid Pantry?
1: So Plaid Pantry is a convenience store chain with currently 108 stores, predominantly in the Portland metro area, but we do have a few stores up in Washington we do over 200 million dollars in revenue we have over 700 employees and we've been in business here in the northwest for over 60 years or about 60 years at this point the one thing that you know differentiates us from our competition is that our buyers are here locally and so we're able to get a lot of locally sourced and produced you know micro brews and other types of snacks and so we're really able to offer things that you know our customers want based on locally sourced products ingredients and so it's you know it's a good business and um luckily even with the coronavirus right now things are going well so
0: yeah always a need for convenience stores and as a new cfo you did something that was very unconventional so tell us about how you spent your earliest days at plaid pantry
1: yeah, so it was, um, the onboarding process was about three months because the prior CFO was retiring. And so the plan was for me to spend time learning from him, which is good. And I knew him previously from my auditing of plaid while I was at PwC. But one thing that was really nice that we were able to execute on was I spent a few weeks when I first started out in the stores. You know, it was a really good experience because I got to see firsthand what our employees days look like. I got to see how all the transactions we account for back in the corporate office begin. You know, I was able to talk to a lot of employees, get their perspective on the IT systems, on the benefits package, you know, wide assortment of things. Um, So it was a really good experience because I really got to get a better understanding of how everything works. You know, and the one thing I did learn from that is I'm not very good on the cash register. So it's probably good that I have some accounting experience.
0: <laughs> and and is that the way everyone at the executive level starts out? Or was that something that was unique?
1: It was definitely unique. It's it's definitely not what they do with everybody. Um, but out of the executive group, you know, I'm really the only one that my staff is centrally managed manage at the corporate office. So... know when our ceo now and at the time he was hired as the coo you know when he started he spent a lot of time out in the stores because he was in charge of operations but you know myself i'm behind the desk 99 of the time so it was definitely unique to me and it was something i had the luxury to doing because you know we did have some time for cross training overlap but it was it was a really good experience because i i did learn a lot about the company and i understood you know, the frustration and challenges that our, you know, employees in the stores had based on existing IT limitations to things with benefits. You know, I found out that our 401k service provider at the time, Record Keeper, didn't have an app. It didn't have online access. And so for our employees, you know, they had no idea how their 401k was, shape, you know, shaping up until they got their quarterly statement. So you know, I I got to learn a lot about, you know, the existing processes, structures, and, you know, systems that we had. So, it it was a really good experience.
0: Sure. So, let's talk about some of the lessons you learned by doing that. What were some of the benefits that you were able to achieve through your time spent at the stores?
1: For sure. So, our store Managers usually start their day at about five thirty in the morning and they wrap up at about three. So I would join them, get there at five thirty when they start their day and just observe everything that they were doing. And every single day, the very first thing the store manager would do when they got in is they'd run all their daily close reports, you know, transmit the data electronically back to the corporate office. But as part of that process, they were printing out a lot of reports every day and I'd kind of watch them prepare their paperwork, see what they're doing. And they prepare this big packet of paper reports, usually about 15-ish, 20 pages. They'd put that together with the coupons because we do a lot of coupons in our stores. And so they'd put all that together, send it back to the corporate office. And so when the store managers would end their day at about three, I would go into the office at that point and work in the office for a while so one of the first things i kind of was trying to understand is why we had so much paper because again it's 2016 and you know you try to make things as easy and automate as you can with electronics you know and things like that so um when i got into the office i went back and sat with a group that went through the paperwork to kind of understand what they were using it for and what they were doing and while I was observing them, I noticed that at about 10 plus pages of the reports they would get, they would set to the side and do nothing with. So when they would finish going through and auditing the reports and looking at the numbers, I kind of asked them, you know, why they pulled those pages aside and what happens with them. And they said they don't use them and they send them to the side and they just get filed away with other paperwork in the warehouse. So then I asked around a little bit more as to whether people use those reports and found out that basically they'd been printing 10 plus pages of reports every day across 108 stores, 365 days a year that nobody was using. So we were basically printing 400,000 sheets of paper with the associated costs of the toner and you know, wear and tear in the printers that were basically not being used at all. But it was just one of those things that you know, the people in the store are doing what they were told at one point and the people here in the office never really asked the question you know why are we getting all these pieces of paper that no one seems to be doing anything with and so again without being in the stores i would have never noticed that
0: yeah absolutely it was almost like you were kind of an undercover boss uh, getting to see
1: yeah yeah and it's it's funny you use that analogy you know that comparison because we actually get a call from them every couple years offering it but surprisingly you have to pay money to be on the show because apparently you know there's promotional value involved but you know we're just a chain pacific northwest it never really seems to pencil out doing the show but i mean that's kind of what it seemed like so it it was it was pretty interesting but uh you know it was very good process and you know in addition looking at the store reports i started asking more questions you know like about the coupons like because we just had boxes of coupons every single month and so i started looking at you know into that process a little bit more and seeing that we were spending about $20,000 a year on insurance to ship these coupon boxes and so i tried to figure out you know is there really a need for the insurance cuz we're shipping with UPS and tracking and you know what's the probability of losing a box and during that process, we found out after looking into it that we were spending about $400 per box of coupons to insure when the insurance actually only covered $100 because it was paper products. So basically, <laughs> we were spending $400 to send a box that even if it was lost, we'd only get $100 recovery. So, you know, again, it was very valuable being in stores because I learned a lot about you know the IT systems, learned a lot about our processing in place so you know very valuable experience that i'd recommend for people you know if they have the time and capacity to try to get out and you know understand the front end of the transactions they're dealing with on the back end
0: yeah absolutely Uh, it sounds like you know a reason for all of us to get out from our four walls and and actually see what happens in operations
1: yeah agreed
0: and I know your improvements they didn't stop there. Um what were some of the changes you were able to make early on at the corporate level?
1: Yeah, so you know, after being in the stores and really evaluating that, kind of the next thing I really kind of tried to dig into and understand was, you know, where all the money was going that we were spending outside of, you know, inventory type products in the store because, you know, that is what it is, but looking at our non-trade spending. So every week I get the register, the payment register, ask questions, you know, what the payments are for and all of that. And through that process, one of the other things I kind of jumped on pretty early on was we were paying a CPA firm here locally about $60,000 a year to do the work opportunity tax credit calculation and process. And it was something that I'd never even heard of until I got to Platt Pantry. So I kind of had to learn it, understand it, see what it was. And basically it's, you know, when you hire employees that are coming off of some type of federal assistance, you can get a federal tax credit based on how many hours they work for you, their compensation and things like that. So in an industry like ours, where we have a hundred percent turnover over the course of the year, we hire a lot of people. And so we get quite a few people that come through that qualify for this work opportunity tax credit. And again, it was something I had never really understood or even knew about prior to being at Plaid. But once I kind of dug into it to figure out what the process was, it was really quite a simple process. I mean, basically, when you get new hires, you log a little bit of information on the state website. And then after that, the state will make a determination if you get credit or not. And then the ones that qualify for credit, you just have to track and you get credit based on hours worked and their pay. And after looking at it, we actually insourced it and it ends up being probably about two hours of work a month. And we save 60,000 bucks a year. And since we've done that, I understand now why I get a call about every quarter from some random firm that offers this you know, line of work because, I mean, the return on it is just crazy. I mean, it's really a lot of data entry than just Excel calculations. And, I mean, it's a pretty lucrative business. So,
0: yeah, I'm so, sure yeah, most that people was one of the first. just don't take the time to understand w- what it is.
1: Exactly, exactly. Because if you just look at it for a few minutes and don't spend much time understanding it, you know, it really can be it can look a little bit overwhelming until you really dig in. But, you know, so after that, I kind of got motivated and I kept, you know, thinking, okay, well, what else is there out there that, you know, we're paying for that potentially we can end source or maybe there's an opportunity to do an R, you know, proposal, go out for bid and get some different pricing. And so kind of along that line, one of the other things I jumped on pretty quick as well was when I was auditing Plaid, they'd always had an asset-based line in, you know, line of credit and they were doing pretty well financially and seemed to always have enough cash. So I never really understood why they had this line of credit, you know, in 08, 09, because it looked like their cash could pretty much cover their operations. So that was another thing that I did when I got in is I worked on getting a traditional revolver with our bank at the time to replace the asset baseline because the asset baseline was costing us about $200,000 a year just because of minimum borrowing, the interest rate and fees associated with it, plus the reporting. We had daily reporting for the asset baseline as far as on the collateral for our inventory and our ATM balances. And so that was another thing that, you know, before the end of my first year I was able to get us out of that asset baseline and move us to a traditional revolver with our bank, got rid of all the daily reporting. So, you know, in addition to just some monetary savings up front, there's a lot of, you know, capacity freed up for our team to work on other tasks and, you know, not waste their time with the reporting. And so that was another pretty good opportunity there for cost savings and efficiencies and one of the other things that I did after a couple of years here at Plaid was I actually had to replace my former employer in PwC audit and tax side, and that was a very. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, that must have been fun. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was that was a that was a challenging one because That's awkward. Um, I'm sure yeah yeah it was uh it was very awkward because i worked there six and a half years and to make it more awkward my wife was working there and still actually works there so there were a lot of dynamics and things going into that decision but it was just one of the things where you know pwc does a great job of auditing publicly traded companies like you know the nikes of the world and things like that but then you know, to execute an audit on a company like Plaid Pantries, which is totally different than Nike as far as, you know, scale size, everything, obviously. A lot of times the testing procedures and mechanisms are still similar, you know, and really not warranted for some privately held companies that, you know, at that time didn't have any debt. And so, you know, as another thing, Tough decision, super awkward, but, you know, between the tax and the audit side, we saved you know, probably about $60,000 a year moving to a more regional firm that, you know, their bread and butter is auditing privately held companies. And so tough decision, awkward. My wife wasn't very thrilled about it, but, you know, it's kind of worked out, so.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it was the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I know shortly after you started, uh, the decision was made to replace a 20-plus-year-old IT system. So tell me a little bit about that. I know that those upgrades or replacements can be painful experiences. So how did you prepare for this, and how was your experience with it?
1: Yeah, so good question. So that was another one of the things I kind of identified really early on being in the stores was just how old and antiquated our system was as far as availability to track data. So our old system, it was able to track the dollar value of different categories like at the store level. So we knew how many dollars of cigarettes, how many dollars of beer and wine are in the various stores. But if you asked me what the composition of those dollars were, as far as how much of it was, you know, Miller Lite or Bud Light or you know whatever else, we had no idea because the system couldn't track it on you know an item level perpetual basis. So you know, and every morning when I'd watch the manager do the daily paperwork, part of that process was entering in invoices that came in from our vendors and. Some of the invoices would take 20 to 30 minutes to enter because they would be hand-keying the various items that were coming in and the dollar cost and the retail. And so it it was a very manual process, very limited system. And so, you know, that was another thing we identified early on that we needed to upgrade and do something with. But the hard part was is it's such a big decision. You really gotta make sure you spend the time up front to make the right decision. And you know, I guess one of the positives that made the decision a little bit easier was in the space for convenience stores, there's really only a couple systems that really operate well with convenience stores, our size. And right as we were starting to make the decision. The largest one actually acquired the second largest one and so it really made the decision easy after that because it kind of turned into a monopoly there's basically one system and that was kind of your only choice and so luckily we hadn't started down the path beforehand you know part of the acquisition because we may have went with the you know company that was acquired but you know part of that process was just you know months and months of planning in advance try to figure out you know, what we needed to do, what all the testing would be, how we'd run parallel. And so, you know, it was a decision that, you know, took some time, a lot of planning, but the execution actually started a little bit over a year ago. And for the rollout, we did it at a store level rollout, one store at a time, because part of the rollout of going live in a store was you needed to do a full inventory of the store so you could scan in every product in the store and get into your inventory. Because up to that point, we didn't have item level inventory in the store. And so for the first three, four weeks of the rollout, I was out in the stores with our inventory count team, crawling around on the floor, climbing around in freezers and coolers with my little scanner, doing inventory counts. And so you know after that i have a newfound appreciation of people that spend a lot of times in freezers and coolers because <laughs> after a couple hours in the coolers counting beer and things like that i mean you get you get pretty cold
0: So yeah hopefully you had a warm jacket
1: yeah yeah i did luckily i mean after the first day i kind of understood what it entailed and dressed a little bit more appropriately after that but you know from going wearing slacks and you know Ties and everything in the office, wearing you know jeans and t-shirts and crawling around on the floors. It was a. It was definitely it was an experience, but it was good because I mean it really helped me understand the challenges of the inventory count team and what they were going through. And you know, being there on the ground, we could make decisions because, as you know and anyone knows, no IT rollout ever goes out as planned. So it was good to be there on the ground so we could make decisions on the fly and kind of you know, change things up as we went.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so to all of those CFOs out there that know that things could probably be better, but aren't really sure where to start, what suggestions would you have for them?
1: Probably the biggest things that I would suggest, and I understand it's not always practical based on the size of the company. Um, Obviously the CFO at Nike and other large publicly traded companies and even small publicly traded companies probably don't have time to go spend in their stores and you know understand all that, but you know knowing that 99% of the businesses in America have under 500 employees, I mean for most CFOs, you know hopefully they have the time to really understand how their transactions originate. And I know they don't all start in retail stores, but you know just understanding the entire process of origination of revenue. All the way to the back as far as in subsequent payment for products services and things like that and you know i learned a lot lot about the business just from being out in our stores and then really diving in and understanding where our money was going on the back end as far as payments because that really helped me identify some opportunities for in-sourcing items and you know, a lot of things you can't in-source but everything else i was aware of when contracts were coming up so you could do a full proposal with various competitors just to make sure we were getting good rates and so th- those are kind of the two things that i would definitely recommend because me personally you know this first time i had been a cfo i was 34 years old only been in industry for a couple of years out of public accounting so, I mean, I was kind of learning a lot as I went as well. There, you know, wasn't really a playbook to know what to do first. So,
0: Yeah, that's great advice. So, this is a question that I, I like to ask often. Um, how do you go about getting buy-in from others on your leadership team? Um, how do you get your point across and persuade those around you to do what you feel needs to be done?
1: yeah so i think our leadership team that buy-in was pretty easy because they saw you know my willingness to get out in the stores understand what the issues of our employees were you know how everything originated and i was able to demonstrate a lot of cost savings you know through a lot of initiatives i did early on and a lot of efficiencies we were able to produce through the department so you know, I think the buy-in from the leadership team was really easy. I think the biggest issue I had that you know we're still working on getting better is just kind of the collaboration of you know my IT accounting team with our people out in the field, our operations group because you know it seemed like the relationship there wasn't very good and it seemed like there wasn't really much communication collaboration up to that point. it was kind of like, Something got screwed up. People are quick to point fingers instead of trying to figure out what the issue was and what some potential solutions were. So that was one thing that you know our current CEO has done a really good job on, as far as working on the collaboration and doing some you know team building offsite trainings once a quarter. We did those for a couple of years, and I think. I think doing that really helped because people can put a face with a name and you, you know, you build a little bit of rapport and it, you know, that was the bigger issue for me. And I think, you know, I know we're doing a lot better than we were, but that's, you know, that was my biggest issue initially is trying to get the collaboration and the team work to function across lines of service.
0: Yeah. Collaboration is so critical to getting anything done. And many, many times, and I think we've covered on, on parts of this, but many times finance departments can end up being siloed from the rest of the organization and they end up reporting only on historical results. So how do you suggest we can work together with operations to improve our organization's performance?
1: Yeah. So I think that really comes down to just kind of put each other in each other's shoes and really kind of understanding what's happening. And so, you know, we did a big safe rollout. We rolled out new safes in our stores in the fall of 2019. And we were having some issues as far as the communication between my office team and what was happening in the store and the configuration of the safes. And so I grabbed my couple of guys on the team that were working on that deployment that were kind of the intermediary, the, you know, the in between our field people and the company that was doing the deployment. And so I took them out to some stores so they can kind of see firsthand what some of the issues and concerns our operations group had out of the gate. And I think once my team better understood their situation, what their problems were, I think they had a little more empathy and were better at understanding their concerns. And then I think it really helped our operations group understand that, you know, we were taking the time to understand their pain and frustrations and trying to collaborate and help instead of just, you know, pushing something through without letting them be heard. And so I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I've, you know, tried to work on is just making sure everyone understands each other's you know perspective and concerns and issues and just trying to get more face-to-face contact with these people just you know so both sides understand where everything is at
0: yep that makes sense so and lastly as a CFO today what keeps you up at night what are your biggest challenges that you see lying ahead
1: So I know for a lot of people, the answer right now is probably coronavirus, but, you know, luckily our industry isn't as impacted by that. And, you know, we're managing through it as well as we can, but it's not having, you know, detrimental impacts, you know, financially on us. So I think the biggest thing that keeps me up is definitely cybersecurity, because it's just it's such an unknown and such a constantly evolving threat and you know my it manager he does a good job but it's just like anything else you can't be an expert in too many areas because there's just not enough time and so you know his knowledge of cybersecurity is good but i'm trying to make sure we're teaming up with other service providers i can help you know make sure we're aware of the constantly evolving threats and what we can do to mitigate the risk you're never going to eliminate the risk but what are we can do you know what can we do to mitigate that risk because it is constantly evolving and always changing
0: yeah and you definitely don't want to end up on the front page of a news story for a cyber leak
1: yeah exactly and especially with us because of you know credit cards and other information that we get from our customers it would definitely be very damaging and detrimental so definitely not Yeah, definitely not something you want to make the news for, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Brent, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing about your experience and how by getting out of your office and into your stores, you were able to make significant improvements right from the start.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, and to all of our listeners today, I hope you have enjoyed today's topic as well. And I hope you tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves and have a great week.